What's good, y'all? Your boy Mario with another episode of Thank You Again, the podcast. If you're new to the show or don't mind a quick refresher, Thank You Again is a show where I talk to various folks on what they create or what they do for a living, and we discuss anything and everything that's typically interesting enough. Uh, this episode, we have a longtime listener and a good friend, Alyssa. Alyssa is a loan and financial specialist who is here today to help all the common folk. Uh, we go into detail about financial literacy, buying a house in this crazy economy, cars and getting a good deal from credit cards to bank accounts and so much more. Uh, I definitely learned a lot from this episode and I hope you guys enjoy listening what we have to talk about. day uh, uh for joining us here at the podcast at thank you again um for the audience that doesn't know Alyssa is a friend of mine uh we've been friends for a couple years now i mean how old is howard howard is a couple years old now crazy <laughs> crazy no, that's so weird i hate saying I, it <laughs> but it i mean that's kind of like how we, i mean we were friends well we're both friends with rj well, you're you're one of the friends, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, my, my husband, I, I he's my best friend. I like to say we're more than friends; we're best friends. Yeah, see, so we've that's how we know each other, and uh, yeah. So today, um, you know, why we are very grateful to have you on the podcast today. Uh, do you want to go into a little bit of what you do? What's your field of work? Yeah, allow me to introduce myself. My name's Alyssa. Uh, I right now I am a, uh, a loan operations specialist. So uh, I process uh, mortgage loans, whether that be refinances or purchases, or we have a special like cash purchase that we do uh, at the at my job specific uh, product to us. Uh, previously, I did every, every everything, I've, I've lended on everything that's not, um, I, I think I've lended on really everything. I used to do cars, boats, RVs, trailers, uh, we did commercial things. I I, um, I worked. I started at like a small, uh, horribly run bank. I did uh, <laughs> sales. I did teller work. So uh, quite nearly everything that's finance related, I've I've at least dipped my toe in. You, everything under the sun, basically. <clears throat> I really think I've I've done all the really bad bank jobs. So only the good ones are left, right? <laughs> uh, that's good to hear. How long have you have you been in this? Uh in this field of, of like finance? That's a good question. I started immediately um, when I like was pregnant with my, my uh, eldest son. I was like, hey, you know, daycare hours are like banking hours. Maybe I should get a bank job. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, because every other job was like, hey, yeah, can you close tonight? And I'm like, where am I going to find a babysitter at 11 p.m 12 o'clock at night so um it was it was hard to do that but um i've been doing it pretty much my entire adult life um i wasn't horrible at math as a child unless my math teacher somehow gets a hold of this i'm sorry i lied but uh <laughs> i think i i as a, at a young age i i was uh, I didn't know I was interested in finance, but my sister would borrow money and I would tell her she would pay me back and she would owe me a dime a day until she paid it all back to me. And I didn't know that that was simple interest. <laughs> I didn't know that that was simple interest, but it is. It's just, it's just you were born with that intuition. Like, I, unfortunately, I was born with that intuition in that mind. 
that's how it starts though but i mean that's good you kind of found like your thing and like you mentioned you're really good at it i'm sure throughout your career you were able to help hundreds if not thousands of people you know get their dream car their dream boat dream yacht you know it's like dream <laughs> yeah, helicopter not yet, never yet. Not, yeah, not, was, not yet <laughs> not quite but uh, that that was probably my my best my favorite part and uh scott my eldest son uh love him to death he uh, would ask me what I what I did and he was like what do you do when you go to work because you know I'm kids are kids they don't know what they just know that you're gone you know half the day and they don't see you until you get off work so they're like what do you do when you don't want to see me and I'm like I would love to see you but when I'm at work uh, I used to tell him that it was my job to find money where grown-ups couldn't find it and now I uh, I make sure that people have houses in a in a timely manner so they can put their family in it or maybe somebody already has a house but it's too expensive and they need something cheaper and they need a different payment uh, it's my job to figure out how we get that done for them and he was like oh okay that's cool so I don't that's, think he really cares <laughs> that's a great way to explain just simple finance because a lot of folks it unfortunately don't have that financial literacy i mean it's it's something you know you always see those jokes oh they should teach teach us how to do it in high school and i mean no one no one ever does and yeah, and sometimes you you really can't rel yeah you can't rely on your parents to do it uh you know i was fortunate enough you know my mom my mom like instilled in our heads like hey you need to have good credit if you want to even be mildly successful because it's like, if you don't have this, you can't have that, then you won't have this. And it's just a, it's a vicious cycle. It really, it really is. Really it's is. Awful. And I, it's not a joke. You're absolutely right. I think that I can crank out the Pythagorean theorem like nobody's business. <laughs> I can do slope intercept Y equals MX plus B. Did I know how the hell to file my taxes? When I was 18, I got my first job. No, no, <laughs> I had no like, idea. It's like, uh, not did I know about this? credit? All I knew was that the people around me, I did not grow up with parents who were financially um, literate. I did not have that. All I knew is that a credit card might come in your mail and you got to throw that thing away. Credit cards are dangerous. I, I heard that all the time and they'd be like, Oh, don't, don't ever get one. It'll get, you'll get yourself in trouble. And so I was just afraid of credit yeah. because people gave me that connotation like hey you yep. get a credit card you're gonna ruin your life and yep. i was like oh my yep. god why did that was that was kind of my dad my dad was like he was he was very like anti-materialism and so to him was like you're borrowing for stuff you don't need that you're gonna make someone else rich you know and like same thing it's like it's gonna ruin your life if you don't take care of it and yeah. but it's like no one really understands the weight of that you know it's because true. it's it, they're just like oh it's just a number it's like it's way way bigger than a number and uh i don't want to scare people by saying that i just want them to understand that it's important and it's you know like getting a job you can't get a job unless you have experience but you can't get experience until you have a job you can't yeah. get credit uh, if you have no credit but you can't maintain good credit if no one will give you any so getting and, started can yeah and having hard. no credit is worse than having bad credit, which to me never just, made sense. Never just, made sense. You're right. It doesn't make sense. But I think uh, having no credit is at least a baseline because 
you're risky. That's all that people see is that you're risky because they don't know how to uh, examine the way that you might borrow. If you already have bad credit, you're risky for a different reason. We already know you can't do this or you've shown that you don't know how to do this or you've run into a problem where this was your only uh, kind of way of being able to take care of things. Um, People who have bad credit aren't always necessarily bad people or people with bad finance. Some people have one one really bad life experience, Um, maybe a pandemic, maybe uh, your mother, yourself, your cousin, your brother is really sick and you're like, hey, I I cannot, this is my option. I I can't Mm -hmm. borrow from anyone else. I can't borrow from anybody but this bank. Um, This crazy title company is giving me a million percent interest, but I need that money tomorrow to get my uncle out of jail. I don't know what'll happen to him. And so some people are just in compromising situations and maybe they've done great their entire lives until then. Um, We can't judge people by a number, whether that be (laughs) your credit score, how much you make, your weight, your IQ, like nothing like that. You can never do that. And so that's why, you know, sometimes my friends will ask me like, hey, my score is like this. Like it sucks. I don't even want to tell you. And I'm like, I'm not going to judge you. You're my friend. If you think you're going to tell me a number, I'm going to judge you. Like you don't clearly think of me as that much of a friend. I've seen everything under the sun. Uh, my favorite thing to see on a credit report is uh, one time I saw someone's library dues, like they'd had some sort of library collection no and it wasn't expensive. It was like 28 bucks, but I was just like, man, your library really had it out for you. If you, <laughs> cause I've never It's, it's seen funny you say that. Cause I actually had an experience like that. Uh, we borrowed a book, um, which was, it was either gone girl or girl on the train one of those one of those books right and um we were moving we were moving and so uh so we're just you know putting everything away and we moved and then the library's like hey like where's our book and i'm like what are you talking about we returned this like no you didn't return it and i'm like i'm pretty sure i did i never paid it of course and then i get a letter like we filed our taxes and i get a letter from the irs the city of San Diego has claimed $40 for their lost property. And I'm like, lost property? What the hell? And they're like, title, you know, like, girl on the train. I'm like, yeah. you son of a biscuit. And sure enough, like, a week later, you know, we're opening up boxes. And I was like, can I give it, it back now? Can I give it back? They're, <laughs> like, no. they're like, no, it's, it's your book. I'm like, I don't want this $40 book. Right, the most expensive book you'll ever have no I I am afraid of that and we have these are all of our library books and I make (laughs) in a special place in the house because I'm afraid like we we get a lot of books at once there's like eight not there's like nine books right there and so they they get mixed up on it if they get mixed up like the bookshelf books or the kids have their own bookshelf books I'm not gonna be like oh let me just sort through all the books no (laughs) they're gonna be right here they're gonna be right but these I are where all no, the library books go. You can read it and put it right I'm back. I'm not paying on no desk. $40 for no damn book. Yeah. Yeah. The bacteria and antibodies. No, I'm not, I'm not paying for any. Hey, man. Scott's, Scott's trying to solve COVID 19. Don't take right. on the stream. That is Howard's book. But yeah. Oh, I'm, I mean, hey, if he fi- figures it out first, even better. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's, it's just crazy, like, you know, how much that does impact this, uh, which, like, makes me roll into like the next topic 
Now, because so many people are in debt, like how has our economical landscape affect, you know, financial literacy for people like our age or, or Gen Z? Like, you know, it, we talked briefly about our parents' perceptions on stuff. Like, how do you think as a generation we're shifting or how can we change the narrative when it comes uh, to this, to, to adapt to the new landscape? Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I, I understand what you're saying. And I think that young people more than ever are, this sounds disrespectful, but we're smarter because at a young age, we had access to the internet, which is just oh, yeah. only a ridiculous amount of overflowing of just information and knowledge. So constant uh, knowledge, constant that. knowledge. It's overwhelming even that like our parents had to go through cards in a library to go figure out if we're not sure about something we ask we google it we say alexa okay google and it, we immediately get that information and so sometimes there's a lot of information that's um not correct or anything like that but um i just think that we have so much information at our disposal that it would be foolish to not use it um i i, I personally think that uh, we should be we should it almost seems sometimes taboo when um, people or young people are talking about things. I love, I actually do not love, but I laugh at the memes that are like, oh my God, we had such a good weekend. You know, those weekends that you don't want to check your account on Mondays. And I'm like, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. My, my favorite meme is probably my parents at 23 will buy a five bedroom house. And then it says me at 23, I'll never financially recover from this. And it's like, it's like a bag of kitty litter. Yes. <laughs> like getting walked. Had to fall in there like, I'll never financially recover from this. Oh my God. Obviously. And then your parents, when they were 23, they were like, Oh, we had two kids. We bought a $500,000 house and you know, upper Los Angeles. And, you know, we just did the best we could. Your father did everything he could. He worked himself through school. Yeah. Because he could get a summer job and pay for school. Right. Unless your summer job is uh, making $23,000 an hour right. for a week, for a few weeks, like there's no summer job that can take care of college. So I think that we're in a very interesting um, predicament now where young people have way more debt way earlier and it's like student loans or you know possibly credit card debt but primarily things like student loans or you know housing is more expensive everything is more expensive and we are in this very weird position where social security is probably not going to be there when we're older it's, it's unlikely that we'll get social security as well so it's like your, your IR and there's just no way unless you're very well off and you are more financially literate at a year, young age. I got a Roth IRA when I was 18, 19, I was probably 19. And, it, and I put in what I can when I'm, when I'm able to, but it's like, there's no way that that is going to take care of me or my, me and my spouse or, you know, me and my cats or anything my kids need at the time. Yeah, the cats. I can't, she's sitting right here. It would be disrespectful to not mention her. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> she's like looking me dead in the eye, just licking herself. She's like, if you don't mention me, I will poop on everything. Um, but it, it's hard. And um, I think that it's going to be very hard for us growing up and getting older with the amount of debt that we'll have so, so young and so early. I don't know what the plan is for student loans because 
What are they going to do if we all stop paying for them? That's trillions of dollars. Who do we owe? The devil? Like, this is this is just so much money. Yeah, that, and our poor Biden's not doing nothing according to his no, plan. And no. uh, I actually, I, I get made fun of work because, like, not that I'm, like, an open republic at work, but I definitely have different viewpoints from very conservative older men. And so uh, they're like, your boy Biden, he's not coming through. That's all they tell me all the time. And I'm like, hey, man, I, I, I only can do so much. Right. Like, yeah. do you want me to go sit there and hold his hand with the pen? I, I don't can't. know. He might start smelling my hair. and That might be a little bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I do worry about the, the, the young people. I think that we're doing such a good job doing what we can. But you're right. With any, without any kind of government involvement, especially with things like student loans and our housing, that's go, the housing market that's going on. It's, it's just, I don't know what's going to happen, and I, I don't want to predict it because that's just no, very, nothing. Very, very scary. It's a scary thing. I don't like thinking that people are going to be like, hey, I've got to choose between having a family or making sure I have the remainder of my degree. I don't want people to say like, hey, you know, my family will never have generational wealth because I can't, I can't, I can't stay it. You know, not everybody has the luxury of being like, Hey, I'm going to live with my parents for uh, a certain amount of time to save up money. Or my parents are wealthy enough that they're going to pay for the down payment for my house. That's just not the option for a lot of people, a lot more people than you realize. It's almost majority of folks. I I don't know anybody that they, that I know personally that has parents that can do that. If anything, it's the reverse the the responsibility is falling on children you yeah, know millennials because of course we always talk about how we're impacted about the economical collapse and uh you know with the whole uh you know economy and you know the shutdown of everything you know our parents are going through it too mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and i feel like they don't have any other option but to rely on their children Yeah, it's just like things are getting more expensive for us. But as our parents get into retirement ages, um, they're not going to be able to retire and afford the life that they're currently living. And you're right. Those of us who know our parents or who, you know, care about our parents at all, we don't want to watch our parents like rot in tiny assisted living. That's way too expensive for them anyway. Any, anyone who really does have a relationship with their parents and wants to keep them safe and wants to take care of them like they were taking care of, they, they don't want to see that. Um, so it, it's going to be hard for, it's going to be hard for them because it's so expensive and retirement does not mean retirement. People are retiring later and later. And I, I hate seeing those feel good stories that are like, Janet's been working here since 1968 and she's oh, still yeah. going. And I'm like, I, I'm Why? sure Janet very much Why? loves her job. I'm sure <laughs> Janet loves her job, but I, I would rather Janet be on the beach and I don't know her. Like For I would real. rather Janet go see her great grandkids because she can uh, on a Tuesday. I would rather her rest and sit wherever she wants to at any time. Not Janet be clocking in and helping me doing whatever I needed to do, even though I'm thankful that she's there. I, I, I would not you, wish that for yeah, anyone. You, you rather her because you know, it goes back to like the American dream, you know, yeah. you work, you work to provide and then so you relax in your old age and things yeah. like that. And it's like, if Janet is 90 years old, if my grandmother's 90 years old, would I want her waiting hand and foot on 
me in a Chili's? Absolutely not. No, I wouldn't no. have to do that. And I just, I don't wish that for, for anyone. Like yeah. I, I'm that person who quotes that dream job quote all the time. Like my dream job, I don't have a dream job. I do not dream of labor, especially in my old age. Um, I, I'm happy with what I do and I like doing my job, but it's like, if we were all, if we all could work four day weeks and, you know, things like that, or I could retire at a comfortable age where I still had enough time to live the remainder of my life with my spouse and my kids and my grandkids, I would, I would want that for myself, but I would also want that for everyone else. Exactly. And it, it, it breaks my heart when, like you mentioned, like Janice, 90 years old, you know, cleaning a Chili's, you know, especially like, um, I'm sure there's like a statistic out there with like, you know, especially women of color um, in the workforce, there's older women of color in the workforce, you know, you know, you see like grandmas sweeping the floor of McDonald's. And I'm like, I know grandma is not getting paid $12 an hour to deal with people's bullshit. You know what I'm saying? She's absolutely not. And I, I hated my, I hate this. I I don't want to say hate on a public podcast, but I wish their eternal damnation. Maybe that's better. Um, (laughs) This, this, uh, this company, (laughs) let's call them pool world. So I hate pool world and uh, they have a bunch of pools with animals in them. And that was, I went one time because we had like a military discount and got in for free and there was just this old, old man and they don't give their employees water, like free water. So they have like a water bottle that they can carry with their own water or they can pay for the water in the park, which is like five bucks for a nasty, like big old Dasani. And, uh, <laughs> I, I knew you were going to say Dasani. It's all, they only sell Dasani. I'm sorry. They don't sell anything else. And uh, It's because of like, that partnership. It's, it's, yeah, it's that old, it's just, this man was so old, could barely sweep and this kid this little toddler child she was like four years old she like ate junk she was all over her face she threw it on the floor and the man just swept it up and I was just like (sighs) I wanted to like fight her parents who just were like yeah that's fine go and throw it on the floor he's sweeping anyway yeah that's his job like no oh I hate a that's his job ass person oh I hate that um like (laughs) truly truly I I don't I don't like that uh, which plays into part, you know, how how important it is to be financial literate, financially literate. What are some steps that, you know, that we can take to achieve literacy? You know, you know, what are some things that we can take to hand now? Like, let's say I have zero knowledge of anything. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, you know, let's say fresh out of high school yes. and I need I need to get my my life together. I don't have anybody to support on. Mm-hmm. what are some things that you can for the kids you know what i'm saying like yes, what no i love them? this question because um at my old job i worked for a credit union and um i'll tell you right there i don't care what city you live in you have a local credit union if you live in nowhere is montana there is a small credit union with 12 people in a branch uh with one branch and they would be much happier to help you but um this happened quite a bit when i was there and it was just like it wasn't just the young people, it was people of all ages. I I very frequently got um, widows and widowers who were like, hey, I'm 60 and my spouse died and they've taken care of everything since we got married when we were 17. I've never seen a check day in my life. 
how do I do this? How do I make sure my lights don't get turned off because I've never had to pay a light bill or a mortgage bill? And that's no fault of their own either. Because back then that, that was the norm. That was very common. And it was just seen as, um, you know, one spouse takes care of everything kind of thing, or like a man is responsible, a kind of like machismo, like my wife doesn't touch a dime, you know, we take me, I make sure that she is taking care of everything, you know, kind of uh, behavior. But I also do get you right. The young kids who are like, Hey, I'm going to college for my first time. Uh, I don't think I've ever had a bank account with just my name on it. I, I, I don't know where to start. I just know that I, I don't even, the people who don't know what questions to ask, I love to say ask questions, but that's such a broad term and it's almost privileged because some people don't know the right questions yeah. to even ask. Exactly. Um, so I would say by starting um, starting out, I, I don't prefer big banks. They have no incentive to take care of you and they respond to their shareholders. So they don't do what's in your best interest. They will only do what's in, in their best interest of their shareholders, the people who own them, who a lot of the time don't actually even bank there. It's like yeah, it's a lot of people, people who own Wells Fargo and Bank of America, they don't bank there. They just own it. They were like, I don't know put my money here. I know what goes into it. I just own this place. And it's like, if those people don't have pride in what they're offering enough to, you know, bank at he their, is, yeah, their own, yeah, then, <laughs> then, then you, you shouldn't go there either. Um, that's why I say smaller credit unions, credit, the difference between a, a bank and a credit union is, um, Banks are owned by shareholders like that, and credit unions are owned by members. So um, different credit unions have different membership options. Some of them, like the one I worked at, you had to have a dollar in your savings account, and it was just held there until you didn't want to be a member anymore, and then you got your dollar back if you wanted to leave. So some of them are like that. Some of them are like, hey, you need to work for school, like the education, um, not PECU, I think it's public educators. Yeah. Some of them are like, hey, you need to work for school, and that. That's what makes you a member here. Or some of them say, oh, you need to live in uh, this county in Texas or this county in California. And that just means that you're allowed to bank here. That makes you a member. So there are different things that would qualify you for membership depending on where you go. But I would suggest that because um, you are at that point an owner of, of that of that, that building or that vessel or that company. Um, and there are, there are boards made out of the people who own and who own and they get to make decisions. So if you're a credit union, you join them because they were like, Hey, we're giving uh, $10 to anybody who opens an account. And you're like, I'm going to take this free $10 and open this account. And then maybe they decide like one day, Hey, we're not going to do that anymore. We all, the board all voted. It was costing too much money. And so if they want to vote that they want to get rid of the $10, uh, the $10 bonus that everybody gets from getting a checking account. Um, the people who own it, the people who actually bank there would vote on that. And they would say like, Hey, I don't, I don't want to do this $10 thing anymore. I, I think it's costing us too much money. We're losing money on this end or, um, or other people are like, I, I like it. And I tell all my friends to do it so mm-hmm. I can help them get $10. You know, it has to be voted on. It's not a one person decision or a couple of people who have no interest. So I do like things like that. And they also are regulated um, slightly differently and they can only make so much money on you. Whereas it's not like you won't see overdraft fees, but um, they can only make so much money from like overdraft fees or interchange fees. Anytime you swipe your card, uh, that bank gets paid or that credit even gets paid. So they, they can only make so much money off of those things. They are not for profit, whereas banks are 
purely for profit. For profit. So, that doesn't mean they're charities, but they are just, they can only make so much money. So yes. I would say starting there, getting an account that doesn't cost any money, um, because sometimes banks will have accounts that are like, hey, you just need to keep a hundred, a thousand dollars in this account, and you won't get charged any fees. But the second you dip under, you know, hundred or a thousand dollars, you know, you get charged a fee. And they're like, here's a fee for not having any money. Here's another fee for going less than that. And then here's a fee for keeping you get a fee. Money. You get a fee. You all get a fee. Yeah, it's terrible. Truly. <laughs> and it's like fees are just people who can't catch a break. Like it's it's not even if you're very rich. Lots of people do that. And they're like, I, I moved money from the wrong account. That was my bad, you know, but people make mistakes. Um, yeah. We're not robots. So it is, even if you have all the money in the world and you know, you're never going to get below this, you know, people make mistakes or things need to be moved other places. It's, it's a thing that just happens. Other things I would think of um, getting credit, getting any kind of credit, um, secured credit cards and secured Secured credit cards and secured um, loans are just a lot uh, easier to get. Uh, securing things means you have to secure it against like your own cash, which not everybody is able to do, but if you can, I would. Or securing it against an asset you already have. Lots of people don't have assets like cars or, but uh, yes, um, those kind of things, secured uh, credit cards, putting it against money or any kind of asset. Um, um, a lot of other things, uh, not everybody has a person who has great credit in their life, but being, if you do um, saying, hey, uh, can, can you co-sign um, or can you uh, put me as an authorized user on your card? Co-signing is very tricky. Co-signing is very tricky. I would not suggest it most of the time. If you can avoid ever getting a co-signer, um, then do it. I would say only do it in matters of like very seriousness. Like you've tried it on your own you tried every obstacle you saved up for it you couldn't do it and only on something that's very large i would also suggest that um if it's something that's not savable or it is a very very immediate need um like i would say if you can if you know you're going to need a car or you can tell that your car is giving out start saving as much as you can for a larger down payment or a pay for your car in cash that's fine because um having a co-signer on something like a car or mortgage gets, gets a lot bigger, even if it's somebody that you very much trust or they're your family or your boyfriend or your spouse. Um, it's like no one ever plans for the worst, but you should, you know, you always want to yeah. assume the best, but you all, always should assume the worst. So don't, and also don't get offended if anyone says, no, I'm not going to co-sign for you because um, you don't know what their responsibility Exactly. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility. And sometimes I got that a lot like, oh, um, my sister didn't pay for her um, car one time, but it's not my fault. I'm the co-signer. You are both taking on 100% obligation for that loan when you co-sign. So if she missed a payment, you missed a payment. Yeah, which dings your credit out the wazoo. It's insane. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't want that. So don't be offended if somebody's like, hey, I'm not in a place that I can co-sign for you. You don't know what they're doing. Or even if you do know what they're doing, don't take it personally. It's, it's not for everybody and not everybody can do it. So it, I wouldn't get offended by that. Um, 
But I think starting, just starting there, trying to learn as much as you can. Google is free. Um, most of the time, it's a good reference, especially if you're taking something from a, a reasonable source or a reputable source. Um, Google is free. Um, make sure that you're not paying a lot for things. If you're buying a car. I like uh, using the NADA, uh, the National Automobilers Dealers Association, to just look at how much my car is worth. A lot of people say Kelly Blue Book, but it's unlikely that a, a lender would use Kelly Blue Book. For the most part, they use um, NADA. A dealership is more likely to use like Black Book or um, Kelly Blue Book because they're um, their values are just a little bit inflated. Mm, I see. But um, I like to use National Automobile Dealers Association for just to look in because, you know, I'm a little lady. If I walk into a dealership, they're like, we got her. We got her, you know? Uh, but yeah, I little lady walks into the dealership. Oh man, we got her. We're going to sell her something way more than is worth. We're going to, we're going to take her for all she's got. <laughs> Everything, that was my my like grandma. <laughs> my grandma did that. My grandma walked in. She had no no patience to wait for me to get off work to help her, and she didn't get bamboozled because she's a pretty smart lady. But like, they try to swindle. But they her. definitely gonna try. That yeah. happened to me. When I was getting my car. I was like, hey, you, know, you guys are preferred. We're a preferred lender with you guys. I do business with you on the daily. I yeah. I've spoken to you before. Like you know that this is my job, and they still tried. And I'm like. Guys, like, gee, willing. maybe she's not good at her job. Maybe she doesn't know <laughs> people being swindled, older folks, and etc. I mean, even folks our age. Um, the importance of buying a car, you know, let's talk about that. So, yes. you know, you, you walk into the dealership and you have no clue what's going on because yeah, when you walk into that dealership, you are, you know. They control everything around you, whether that's uh, what you're listening to, um, the temperature in the room, and they like to really control the momentum and the conversations. Um, so they'll ask you, you know, what's your goal is? And any sales, any good salesperson will ask you what your goal is because they want to appeal to why you're here in the first place. Some people will say, hey, I need a car. Um, this week, it's an urgent thing. Or some people will say, I just need something reliable before I have my fourth kid. Uh, I just need something that I can make sure looks really nice on me. I need it to be red. I don't care what it is. I just need it to be a red car. You know, everybody's in there for a different reason. Um, buying a car, I think is, um, is, it's a mixed feeling for me sometimes just because of environmental things, but uh, financially, honestly, I think that buying a car is very important, especially for people, um, you know, millennials who are not buying houses. That is a, an attainable asset that is expensive and it is a nice thing, but it's not as big as a house and it's not as hard to get as a house, mm -hmm. you know, having any large asset. So if you can pay cash for your car, go ahead. I wouldn't suggest doing it every single time just because you'll look like a first time buyer with the cars. I wouldn't suggest buying a car cash every time you can, but if this is your first car or it's a, a clunker or it's just not, it's something that you're, you're young and you need to get to and from school or to and from work, buying it in cash is great. Uh, statistically with uh, young, uh, young, young drivers, um, they're, they're very likely to get in a car accident the first year of driving. 
which is awful, but it does exist. And so I think your first car, it, it builds character. My kids are not going to have an Audi as their first car. They're going to build <laughs> character with whatever trash me and their dad buy. Um, <laughs> I know RJ's going to want something really safe and he's going to want something big that they, that they can't yeah, mess up. He really wants them to have trucks and I was like, okay, if you're going to pay for the payment for a truck and the gas, and right. okay, if you're going to pay for the gas. <laughs> uh, no. At least but, gas um, is what, two bucks over there? How much is it? Yeah, it's like two forty, two fifty. It's almost at five dollars here. Five it's, American dollars? Yes. It's five atrocious. It's atrocious. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I'd be on the next bike, the next metro. The I'd be on that train every day. Just put on the roller walking, skates. Be doing the yeah, roller skating, doing the Fred Flint, Fred Flintstone. I'd be doing anything but driving. If my friend said come through, I would say respectfully. That was disrespectful of you, and I'll never financially recover from coming through. Okay, no. It is crazy, which is it's funny because with buying cars. I feel like some folks think about that, about like fuel economy. Um, but yeah. ultimately it's what the, like you said, the salesperson controls the ball in the court, right? You tell them I'm looking for fuel economy. They're like, all right, let's see uh, what I can whip up. And then they end up showing you a, a 30 grand. Exactly you know, what they don't want, what you don't want. But, and then they just, they were, I feel like they really just pride themselves on fatiguing people like, hey, we're gonna we're, we're gonna really beat them down. They've been in here for six hours. There's no way they're gonna leave with what they want. And and I think it's because no one truly prepares people to buy a car. Because to me, you always see these CarMax commercials or these auto dealer commercials where they're they're smiling. They're like, yeah, I'm ready to buy we a car. You walked we, in. We handed you the keys, and we here said, you go. Oh. We put a yeah. bow on your car. And then you're off, you're happy, you're good to go. They never show the grueling, like you said, I, I've been here six hours. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm thirsty. And that's kind of when they use those on you too. Are you hungry? Uh, I can get us a pizza or like I can get you like, a Coke. We have a whole special coffee bar for you. And then you're sitting what? there and you're anxious and you <laughs> you have eight cups of coffee and you're just pissed off. And why um, does every dealer have a coffee? That's what I want. You know what I'm saying? They, I don't know, but it's so we, very we have frustrating. The new I don't like that. Machine. Like, I prefer buying used cars because it just makes more sense. I just don't like that the new car economy is solely fixed on like dealerships. Like, you have to go to a dealership if you want a new car. There's no other place you can get it. The wholesaler won't give it to you. You can't get it from the factory. You can't just go to the Toyota factory and be like, hey, I know that car was coming out. I saw the demos on it and I want that car from the factory. You can't do that. You actually must go through a dealership. There's no other way to purchase it. I do like uh, buying cars from um, people, like buyer, seller transactions, but that also comes with its own risks, just like it does from a dealership. But it's like, hey, this person could have been Matilda's dad, you know, put sugar in your tank before they you drove it or it could have been stolen if you didn't do the right research. Uh, these tires may not be the right tires. There's, you know, there's pros and cons on each end, honestly. But I do think it's an important thing to um, have an asset to have as, as a young person. I think that a lot of the time, uh, the things that I would always caution people are um, when when anyone in our family, or our group of friends gets a new car, it's always like, hey, if it's not rude to ask, like, what what's your payment? 
I do not care what your payment is. You should not care. You should care about your payment, obviously, but you should mm-hmm. not ever focus on your payment because the dealership is always going to sell you a payment. What they're not going to tell you is it's for 84 months and it's at 4%. It's at 8%. It's at 10%. It's at 20% because you're paying more in finance charges than you need to for anything. Then the principal amount. Then the principal. And then sometimes what was really frustrating when I was uh, doing it, people just assumed they were like, hey, if I have more time to pay it off, I'm saving money. I'm having a smaller payment. Not always. I had this gentleman, he was really set on having a longer term. I told him if you just, if you just bumped it up one year and your interest rate would go down so much, you'd be paying it off sooner which means you'd be saving an insurance and car payments uh, alone and, and, and interest, obviously. And I told him the difference was $9. Sometimes it really is. And I was like, dude, I, and I was like, I know you're dead set on paying for this for the rest of your life, but it's a $9 difference. Could you swing going to Whataburger one less time? Could you swing <laughs> just not getting an extra drink when you went out once a month to save yourself $800 in finance charges? And he was like, do the math again. He didn't want, he, I feel like he thought that I had something in my best interest, but I was like, I don't get paid extra for telling you guys this. My company loses interest. My company loses money every time I tell you this. So obviously I'm not doing this to make a sale or anything like that. We were not for profit. So I was like, I would tell my mom this. So that's why I'm telling you this, Mr. Man. Uh, And I was just like, Hey, you know, this is the way the math looks. You can do it at this. Like you're asking for this much, but if you're really okay with just swinging nine extra bucks, I would probably do it for less. And some people like to put like liability insurance on their cars, but you can't do that unless your car's paid in full, like you own your title. So it's like, Hey, if you want to end up doing that, you'll be able to save more money in, um, in your regular car insurance. Um, another thing that really mm, just has a chokehold on my young people nowadays that I hate seeing, I can never tell anyone what to do with their money, but a lot of the time kids, especially kids who are 17, they get their first job. They see a paycheck. That's like 800 bucks. They've never seen a paycheck. That's $800. They think that's a ridiculous amount of money for two weeks, a month of work. They're like, we're rich. If I buy this car, the payment's going to be $500 a month, but I'm making $800 every two weeks. That's awesome. I can definitely pay for this car. And they are like, I want that Audi. I don't have any family. I don't have any rent. I can definitely pay for that. Love this Audi. I I really want this Mercedes. I want this new Beamer. And they're like, the payments are going to be 500 bucks. I can totally do that. And then they don't realize that upkeep on cars is a thing. Alexis can only take premium gas, which unleaded over there is like five hundred, like that eighty-seven yeah, is un- like five dollars. Un- unleaded is like four, like four twenty-five, and yeah, but premium is almost premium five dollars. Yeah, if you get premium, so they have to get premium every time, and that's you know the cost per gallon is a little bit, but over a lifetime, that's a lot. Your gas, your uh, your oil changes, and your fluids are not going to be under a hundred dollars ever. They're, they're just never going to be under a yeah. Got a quarter ticket of gas in my new E-class. So I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you're just getting an oil change is never going to be under a hundred dollars and you're going to need them more often. If your car so much as uh, loses, mis- like pops a tire, your, your uh, tires aren't filled with air. They're filled with nitrogen. Like, you have a different kind of air that costs more money 
getting yourself tires and even the specialists to even touch your car are more expensive because it's considered foreign. You need to have uh, a specialist who gets charged more per hour because they have specialized in that type of vehicle. So if anything goes right with your car, it's going to be expensive. And if anything goes wrong with your car, it's going to be way more expensive. And so uh, when people would buy like Mercedes and they'd be so excited, especially the young people. I'm like, have you ever had a Mercedes before? And that's usually the first question I say, you know, are you familiar with the, the price and the upkeep of a Mercedes? And they're like, no, no, my last car was like this trashy car. No girls liked it. It was awful. Um, it was my dad's when he was a kid and it's barely running and I hated it. And that's why I'm getting this new awesome car. Great. You are not prepared <laughs> Uh, mentally or probably financially yet for the cost that would come with having that new awesome car. Um, sometimes people are really, really hellbent on getting a Mercedes. They don't care what year it is. They're like, this is a 90, but it's a Mercedes. And it's just so expensive. That, that's a money pit right there. It is a money pit. And yeah, it's, it's a like money pit. It's you insane. You could be saving your money and putting yourself in a real actual asset that will benefit you for a longer period of time. And Maybe, you know, if something happens and that car you've taken care of very well and you've paid for it, if you need to sell it, it's worth something. Or if you need to get a loan against that clear title, you'll be able to get a good value out for it and it's been taken care of and it actually is still worth something. So cars that cars that do keep their, uh, you know, you ha- we're going to ask a question like that, but that do keep their their values and things like that do your do your research on your car just don't go in and you know my buddy got a car last weekend and it looks awesome i'm gonna get a car this weekend that is just the exact attitude somebody who wants to take advantage of you would wants to hear um because they're like oh you're trying to outdo your buddy i'll show you this thing right here i'll definitely have them all talking and that's what you don't want to get yourself into because you might put yourself in a bad situation uh, having a little bit of reserves um if you plan on getting a car ever so often i i have family friends i am ashamed to say they know i exist and what i do and they still insist on buying a new car every two years and uh and i'm just like just lease it if you're gonna if you know you're not gonna keep yeah, if you're that gonna car, constantly changing you know you're not gonna keep that car and maybe you don't drive a, a ridiculous amount you don't have an insane you know two hour long commute lease the car just lease the car if you want to keep the car for a longer period of time or maybe you want to keep it forever like i i always intend on keeping my car forever until something horrible happens to it and i can't yeah um i always end up intend on doing that so I put a large down payment on my car when I can and then after a few years I'll re I'll save up maybe part of my income taxes or I'll use all of it and I'll refinance and I'll put another chunk towards it uh, to get to get it closer to being paid off to save myself some money on the payment and get closer to having it paid off so I know I do have a free and clear asset in case anything does happen to me because my home I do not own uh, I rent my home. So if something happened and I needed a lot of money quickly, I would be at the mercy of me borrowing money just in straight in cash or being able to use um, an asset. So I think that for young people, if you're able to get a car or any kind of physical asset, if you can get a house, do it. Generational wealth is a very serious, it's a very real thing, especially right now. It's harder 
now, I think more than ever to get at home. And if you're able to do it, um, even if it's a small home, the only thing I, I, I'd like to say is when you're buying a home, you can't change the location and you can't change like the lot size. So if the house, if you, you like the house and you're like, ah, refrigerator is not what I wanted it to be. Kitchen's not what I really want it to be. Those are things that, you know, in time you can save up for and change a million times over the light of the house. But if the house is always going to be 30 miles from town, you might run into that issue a lot. Yeah. <laughs> something that's going to do your the research lot size and, is and big and, and it's just got brick all over it. And it, you know, and you're like, ah, I can't, you can never make the house bigger because the lot size is this yeah, big. So those it, are two it's, things. It's something definitely to research. Don't just buy the first house you see. I mean, not shying away from buying the first house you see, but it's I also- say, I definitely would buy the first house that would allow me right now, just because the market is so ridiculous. Um, yeah. We like to share articles and stats and the stat that um, I, t- I just like, I look at them, but then but the stat I looked at this week that I was like, shit, um, in Austin, where I live, um, over- 1500 yeah over 1500 houses this year it is june 2021 over 15 homes this year were sold for more than um a hundred thousand dollars over asking so that means they are asking three hundred thousand dollars for the house and it got sold for 400 or they were asking six hundred thousand for the house and it got sold for at least over seven hundred thousand yeah um i'm not sure if you checked the last episode uh we briefly talked about the housing market in Austin and also in California. California has always notoriously been known how bad the market is, right? But right yeah. now, the statistic is on average, homes are being sold at 250000 over asking price. So the prices of these homes are minimum half a million, 500000 you know? Oh, yeah, easily. So that's just the minimum. That's in a, you know, in a neighborhood that may not be the greatest, but it's, but it's, exactly. it's not, not, not the ghetto or anything like that. But it's not know. the hood, but it's like, it's not your ideal neighborhood to raise your whole family and it's not near your job and it's not near your parents. Yeah. And I might not want to walk at night, you know, there's no, there's no streetlights, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, um, and so like they're saying at 250,000 over, because I actually have somebody that I know that has a house that they bought at 300,000 currently valued at 500 and if you wanted to you could sell it for almost nine mm-hmm. that's almost a million dollars it's awful and, it- and right here the investors are this area austin especially since elon musk has just breathed our direction um their houses are just it's the investors really really want a piece and so like our neighbors that are actual neighbors, people who live on the other side of this wall, um, they put their house up for sale. And then that weekend it was sold. And we were like, that was quick. That is really, un- that's that unheard the of. Weekend, the weekend it was sold. And we were like, you know, what kind of people did you sell it to? Like your open house was this weekend. Like, did you, did you get the deal before or during the open house? And they were because during the week they were like we're going to clean up the house and we're going to put it on the market and we're going to have an open like they had to clean up the house during the week take pictures and then have an open house and then it was sold it took them longer to clean the house and i was just like oh my god and we were like you know what kind of people because we want to know who our neighbors are going to be oh yeah of and, course 
and it was ended up being investors and they were like they gave us so much more than asking like we have a new baby we weren't gonna say no we just went with the highest bidder and I know a lot of people are gonna do that my job with hilarious to see sometimes is just the letters when people are purchasing a home with the contract they will go in or with the offer they will include a picture of their family and be like hey we're not investors but we have a three-month-old baby and a really old dog can we live in your rundown house in the middle of nowhere please we need it we're in a two-bedroom apartment and it's like they're like we're in a two-bedroom apartment right now and we have to have this house and it's so in the middle of nowhere that's run down. We really would love to have it. And every purchase is like slapped with one of those. And they're like, please let us buy your house for more money than we have. <laughs> and they're like, we know people are offering you more money and there's no real financial reason you would pick us, but please have pity on us and pick us and have our house. And it's a good idea to always write those letters when you're purchasing a house, but it's also Ooh, it's, it's always hard to, for me to read them. Some of them are really sad. And they're like, we lost our mom and oh, we're well. trying to build. And they're like, we lost our mom and we're trying to build well for our family. And we we really would love this home to raise our family and our family's families in. And I'm like, Ooh, let me see your tax returns. Like, I, <laughs> it's so rough to like see stuff like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, bless your heart. And then these people are like, yeah, we got 13 of those letters. Uh, so everybody's mom is on their last legs. And it's, like, oh my gosh, it's like, it's like having a, being a teacher and your whole class is like, hey, we all can't come to class today because our grandmas are sick. And it's like, well, I do feel equally bad for all of you guys, but shit, I have to I can't just have no class. Like, right. I can't like, just say like, oh, I didn't teach today because everyone's grandma's sick. It's, <laughs> you can't just sort through all of those tragedies like that. It's, yeah. it's not, it's not like that. Yeah. You can't have the personal interference, which is like hard to differentiate because obviously you want to help folks out. That's just your nature. But then you also got these investors that they're faceless. You don't, you don't, you know, they're faceless. Yeah. And, and some just- of them aren't, some of them do lie and say things like that. And it's just like you as a person selling your home, what you put your time and effort into, you had your memories in, you're either going to get a bunch of money out of this uh, purchase. So you can go and do that better somewhere else, or you're going to um, give it to another person who you think is going to have the best interest of that home and you don't know who you're buying from, if they're a sentimental person and they would like either, you know, you don't know what you're trying to appeal to with that, with, you know, the people selling the home. Um, so it's like, <laughs> good luck. If you're trying to buy a house right now, good luck. My company does something very specific um, that tries to, it makes a, we try to make your home look or your purchase look, uh, your offer look three times more attractive and we front our own cash and we, um, show it as like a cash offer. So it, if, um, if somebody is selling the house and everybody's like, Hey, we all got pre-approved our offer with you looks like it's cash. So it's more likely mm-hmm. to get purchased because we're saying, yeah. Hey, we're fronting our cash for this person and we'll, we'll be paying cash for the house. And so that's a more attractive, uh, that's a more and attractive. You, you guys figure offer. out the loan stuff. Yeah, we'll take care of the loan stuff, but um, it's just the offer itself to a seller looks more attractive because it's cash. You don't want to have to go through everybody's borrowers, lenders, things. 
Yeah, I wanted to tell you, ask you about like the difference between like obviously like cash offers cash, cold hard cash, greenbacks, you know, what Mr. Krabs loves kind of deal. That's, you know, money, money, money. Arcs me millionth dollar. But um, so what's the difference? Well, I I, kind of know what the difference, but maybe the audience uh, may not be too in tune to it. You got the cash offers and then you have FHA loans and conventional loans and like VA loans and there's different government programs and assistance. What looks best to a seller so that you can maybe expedite the purchasing process? Because I know there people lean favor towards certain loans versus programs because with the programs there's hoops and you know, rings of fire you got to jump through and they yeah. prefer not to. Like there's know. kind of uh, FHA loans are usually the ones that sellers are like, eh, that might fall through. They might end up having uh, too many problems. So um, usually FHA loans are not the ones that people want to see. I think obviously if you're a seller, you want cash. If I'm telling you right now, Mario, I'm going to buy your car. Do you want me to be like, hey, we're going to go to the bank or I'm going to be like, hey, I'm handing you this money right now most people want to see cash in hand. That's just a people thing. Um, But I think um, that if you cannot do cash and most people cannot right now, um, I think that if you have any availability to do any type of VA loan, they have great uh, programs and uh, uh, kinds of assistance and things like that. VA is great to go through. It's hard because sometimes the VA is pain in the ass to like get a hold of and get get a response back in a timely manner for you, especially with how quickly things are going right now. But if you're going to get any kind of home, um, conventional usually has is the most it's the broadest option. It's the one most people do, and it has more flexibility um, with um, things that you want to do. You might have to have a bigger down payment or um, a better debt to income than like FHA, but and maybe better credit, but FHA is still a good federal housing assistance, is still a good program if you don't have the credit to get there or you don't have the down payment um, or the history to get there. So it still exists and it's still a good program. It's just harder to get something with it right now because of how competitive the market oh is. Um, I don't see, I, I don't, I really cannot predict it. Unfortunately, I really was thinking about it. I was like, what are you going to say to Mario? Like, are you going to say that the bubble's going to burst? Are you going to say that, like, uh, you think the market's going to keep going or you don't know how long it can keep going? Um, but yes, those programs exist for a reason. And it's just, I, I have no idea what it's going to look like next year. Um, I think that with uh, the rise of the pandemic and everyone staying at home, they were like, hey, we lived in this crappy studio apartment because it was downtown and we had access to all of the amenities downtown. Now we can't even use our pool, our group pool because of COVID. No, I'm going to buy a house where I have my own damn pool and space that I can do whatever I want. And I'm not, you know, basically sitting on my bed all day. I think that was the market was already, you know, people already were wanting to buy more houses. But then after the pandemic started, people were like, I realize I live in the city for all the things. But if I took away all the things, like, where would I be living? So I think that a lot of that happened with a lot of people who were like, yeah, I'm never at home anyway, so I don't even care where I live. <laughs> but it's like, hey. And, uh, and then the pandemic happened and now you're stuck at home and now all you're the stuck time. At home and you're, you know, 600 square foot apartment in the middle of LA and LA is closed. What are you going to do? You're like, we yeah, bought this. 
We bought this apartment because it was way too expensive, but it was right next door to Disneyland. Disneyland's closed. What are you going to do? You know, you look dumb. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew someone from Twitter that kind of happened to them. They they moved, I want to say, to like Denver, but like in the heart of Denver. So it norm, it's like really expensive, but it's like blocks away from the nightlife, you know? So like, let's say like 6th Street or like for me, it's Gas Lamp. So it's, you have all the bars, all the restaurants, all yeah. the clubs, all, like, as a young person maybe that's you know you're single you have nothing no ties no nothing exactly. that's that's perfect you know that's it's, the best idea because you're like me and my homeboys are we're right here we're right here everybody can crash at my house it's safer i'm not going to spend a bunch of money ubers or if i meet somebody and i want them to come back to my place you can yeah, walk down the street yep, exactly. but it's like that's the I, thing. that's exactly what happened and literally i think they did it in like january of you know last year when going into 2020 and then march happened and they just shut down and they're like and they're like this is miserable i don't even have ac (laughs) yeah you got a year lease and you're just you're stuck like you're you're not doing anything so yeah no that's exactly what crazy um but you mentioned like about the market popping or collapsing I've, you know, I, I, I'm on Twitter way too much. <laughs> and so, you too, like, what's up, man? <laughs> so like I read, you know, that they're going to start the, was it the moratoriums that they're going to, you know, go into where they're going to evict people and mortgages are going to start again. And that how this is going to play into more empty houses for the market. Do you think this will, you know, with this influx of additional homes, that unfortunately people may lose because they may still be out of work or they can't find work that they feel pays a living wage or you know whatever it may be and that they lose these homes yeah what are we going to do or what you know as a collective how's the market is it gonna like because they're they're predicting like oh right now everything's like 250 plus over asking we're looking at going under 100 if not less possibly i know that's what i read i don't know if that's correct i don't think that there's any if we if we leave it up to us like i know i'm I'm not the biggest fan on like government interference but i think that it's going to get to the place where it's like homes that are absolute shacks that are unlivable inhabitable are going to be selling for a million dollars if we don't have any kind of interference and there are more homes that are empty and vacant because of any reasons or evictions and then there are people yeah and it's like we could easily house every person here every citizen if we just did anything about it and i that's always a frustrating thing to me because it's like there are so many people who are living in dangerous situations at home or they are homeless like homeless homeless on the street or homeless you know couch surfing friends or homeless couch surfing family members or just I have to stay in this home because it's dangerous for me for any reason you know I'm gay and my parents eat me and my family is dangerous to me or I'm an abusive relationship you know people staying in dangerous situations and they cannot afford like Right now I have a friend, she is awesome. I love her to death. She has a chronic illness and it's hard for her to find a full-time job that she can physically do. So she's been looking for jobs that are work from home and she's able to do some of them. But even with her degree, like none of them pay enough for her to be able to not live at her parents' house. 
Mm-hmm. And there's this other podcast I watch. I listen to Locatora Radio. I don't know if I'm allowed to shout them out, but they're great. Uh, after you watch this one, <laughs> after you listen to this one, you can go to Locatora Radio and they, they talk about that. And um, they are girls from uh, traditional Hispanic homes. And they're like, you know, it's just kind of a traditional thing that we have three generations in our house. But it's like, even if I and they just expect me to get married off to a man and he then takes care of me into our family home. And that's just kind of a traditional thing that a lot of um, homes have. And she was just like, I, I don't think that that's my path, but I live, you know, my parents bought this house in downtown LA in the seventies. Do you think I can afford to ever live anywhere near my parents right now? No, (laughs) no way. She's like, I have two full-time jobs and I can't do that. And it's like, there has to be something done with the market. I don't know. I really can't even predict what can could possibly be done. But I really do think at some point we need some sort of interference. Um, I think New York tried to do a little bit locally with saying that uh, so many percentage of apartment buildings could not be like Airbnbs or uh, rental, you know, like quick rent places like hotels and stuff like that yeah, i think uh california was working on something like that because i used to work in like a beach town and that was the the biggest complaint is that you have these apartment complexes with 10 units and eight of them were airbnbs exactly so it's, and, so it's, <laughs> and it's like people break that law all the time especially in new york it's it's really bad and they're like yeah we swear we have regular tenants in this and they don't and it's all Airbnb and they, they pay 10 grand for this, you know, small apartment unit and they rent out each of them for $2,000 each time somebody's staying there for, you know, a few days and or a week in New York. And it's like, they just made their rent plus tenfold. And uh, on TikTok, lots of people are branding this and they say like, how I get my car for free. And then they say, I got an apartment and I sold it and I, and I rented out every week for this much. So it pays for my cars. No, it's gas and it's maintenance. That's how I get my car. No, no, no. You're a landlord. That's not a job, babe. Get a job. I, I do with, I deal with this at work. A lot of our clients are, are, are pretty well off people. And I say that all the time and it's so rude because I'm like, y'all have 13 properties. Like just get a regular job. Oh, it's so funny because when the pandemic was happening and, you know, people couldn't pay, they, you know, they're out of work. Yeah, with the pandemic, they were like, oh, well, they can't pay us. So we can't pay our, we can't pay our mortgage because we couldn't pay it without all of our renters paying their rent. And it was just the ugliest. I think uh, Hassan Minhaj has an episode about it, actually, um, that was really good on Patriot Act that I liked. And it was exactly that exact conversation. Like, hey, the renters can't pay their rent the people who own the landlords can't pay their mortgages and the mortgage companies and the lender and the banks and the lenders are like, Hey, you know, we, we need to continue to give money because if you guys don't give us money, we can't lend money to anyone. We don't have money to lend to have, help you guys pay for other things that you can pay for in cash. And it's just like this vicious cycle that will <laughs> crack. <laughs> we don't, if we don't have any kind of interference or help with it. And it's just like, I don't, I don't know how so many other, every other country is doing it so well. All the other first world countries are like, Ooh, America's ghetto because we, we, uh, we're, we're just like a third world country in a Gucci belt. We're just barely making it through, but we look nice. Yeah. I, I feel like capitalism itself. It's very frail. 
and it's it's obviously built on the soldier shoulders of the poor and the working class and you take away that support because i mean given that you know the pandemic is serious and serious enough where the government felt it was necessary to shut down right so with that being said you're shutting down the most vital part of your ecosystem the working class yeah you know i mean so you're taking away restaurants you know food service grocery stores you're limiting staff here and there you know and on top of that you're not paying them you know what they may want kind of deal and so if you take away that support system how is it supposed to thrive when nothing is circulating right like the biggest joke we were ever taught was like trickle down economics and then now um my husband and i love to joke that any uh any Anytime we see a, a building or anything that has a, one of those signs that say heroes work here, we know those people are underpaid. Um, yeah. <laughs> we know you're getting a pizza party and not a raise. You know what I mean? Like we know you guys are having popsicle day at work and not health care that's reasonable. So we, um, that, that I'm, I obviously we saw that beforehand because we have people, we work, we are regular people and we work and um, we have friends who are in, other service industry jobs or gig industry jobs. So we see that the people who are um, wealthier, more better off or aren't surrounded by every kind of person, they are so blind to that. And they just, the gap is just so large. And, um, and it's right, the, the pandemic for a lot of people who couldn't see, you know, all the people who were singing like Imagine last year on Zoom, uh, for those <laughs> people who didn't know that everybody goes through these ridiculous struggles and, you know, this, uh, there was an old Netflix show that was, uh, that talked about like the biggest dangers in society. And they talked about a pandemic and how America would just not survive. This was like three or four years ago. I watched this show and I was so scared because they were like, Americans don't have healthcare. Their healthcare is attached to their jobs. If people get sick and they can't work and their healthcare is attached to their job, they just keep getting sicker and they keep dying. And they're like, and then I was like, oh no, it was like, ways the world will end of some sort. I, I totally forgot what it is. Maybe I'll find it again. But it was so funny because they were talking about, you know, ways. It was like playing that plague game. Like, how are you going to destroy the world? And they were like, gamma radiation could happen or we could all just get sick. And I was like, gamma, uh, I choose gamma for $300, Alex Trebek. Um, but it, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a wild time. I feel like I've definitely strayed from your point. Oh, no, it, it's fine. That's the whole point of the podcast is just, you know, chit chat, patty white, give a dog a bone, and you know what I mean it's 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 just crazy how you know, like you mentioned with that episode that the United States is not built on a on a stable system, and that, and it's infrastructure. Even our power lines were made as a temporary thing. They were like, hey, the power line thing, it's not going to work. It'll last maybe like fifty years, but obviously we're not going to be needing power lines in fifty years. And now it's been like 70 and <laughs> it's just not sustainable anymore. Everything's and, failing. Uh, and... Yeah. And it's like, there are just so many things that are like band-aid over a bullet wound that we just kind of just walk through and we're like, we're the best anyway. America. Fuck yeah. I don't know if I can, <laughs> I probably can say that, but. <laughs> yeah, it, it, my episodes always get the E. So if we're good for explicit. So we're golden. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what it is. But uh, 
another question you definitely had uh, was about uh, types of accounts and for saving. Um, I, there are a lot of different options. I have a few, I have a, um, I have a regular savings account, a regular regular one. I do keep money in that. It's not a million dollars, but I do keep any money in it just because it's attached to my checking account. And if something happens, I have like an, uh, a quick over like yeah, a, immediate overdraw, access just yeah. in case. Yeah. Just in case uh, I'd like to keep money in there, but should happens. What can I tell you? It was prime day the other day. What was I going to do? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but, um, but I keep that. Um, I have a, uh, a money market, which is like a, it's, it is a savings account, but it has a um, um, different uh, income limit or not income limits, but amount limits. So that one does limit how much like you have to have a certain amount of money to put in there. And the mm-hmm. one I have, like the minimum is like $2,500. So as long as it stays under 20, over $2,500, I can keep the account and it gives me interest. And mm-hmm. the reason I like this one is because it is a savings account. So it, I can take money out of it and use it whenever I want. If something happens and I need to use that money, great. It was accruing a lot of, it was accruing interest, but if I need to use it, I can use it right now. Um, uh, Another thing I have is a certificate that I just kind of leave and I let automatically uh, renew. It's, it's not out. It's not a lot of money and it's not out for a long time. I just wanted it for my son. Uh, My eldest son, when he was little, I was just like, you know, Hey, this will, this is money I can set aside and I definitely know I'm not going to use it. If something happens, you can do like emergency withdrawals, but those have penalties to them. Yeah, so that's why a lot penalties. of people, yeah, a lot of people don't like certificates or shared certificates or CDs. They are, they're called all of those things. Um, but uh, those, a lot of people don't like them because your money is held for a certain period of time, whether that be six months or a year or five years or 10 years, it is held and you cannot withdraw. And if you do, you have a penalty. So that's why some people are like, oh, it's risky. It's not really that risky unless you have an emergency that you need it for, then there's yeah. a penalty. But that's it's like money like- you should be depositing that you don't need. Like you said, if you don't need immediate access, you should be golden. Because a lot of times... Um, those CDs have higher APYs, annual percentage yields, right? That, yeah, that's the whole. That's yeah, exactly I, what people get. Them. It's because I've done like some research, like because I have like a regular savings account with my bank, but it's like it's Bank of America. <laughs> but, uh, I know, I know, I know. Whenever you're like shitting on them, I'm like, uh. <laughs> you're like, I'm gonna put my card in the last slot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the savings account is ridiculous because it's like you have to have a minimum balance of a thousand dollars. Or you get charged five dollars a month for a maintenance fee, and, and I'm just like, what are you maintaining? The the cobwebs or what's what's going? On? Right. And I the APY like is like point zero one, so I get like a, a dollar maybe, That's not even so a dollar. Awesome. My checking account at my credit union accrues interest too. See, That's rare. I, yeah, not, and you'll never see that. But my checking account accrues point zero five percent. So it's not a lot, but it's but anything, it's yeah, but it's, it's anything. Something. And then, yeah, I think the savings accounts are like 0.25. No, it's got to be less than that. If the savings accounts are like, I want to say like 0.25 or it's, it's, it's a lot more than you'd think. Cause I, I get my dividends and I'm like, Oh, look at these couple little books for my little oh. change in my savings account. <laughs> but you're right. The, 
the certificates uh, are going to usually grant the highest yield, the highest APR or APY, excuse me. Um, so you can get more money back for keeping your money there. They, they mm-hmm. need to be able to lend money. And if they can count on yours for a certain period of time, they're going to give you a little bit in exchange. So if you can do a certificate, like I don't have all of my money in a certificate, obviously, because I know that my life will exist. Something will happen. We will break a leg. Um, maybe one one of us may, you know, lose our jobs, you know, things were happening like that last year. So I don't keep all my money in there. I don't even keep uh, most of my money in there. I think I keep very small CDs because I'm um, a worry wart and I worry all the time. Mm-hmm. More majority of my money is in um, uh, my money market. Uh, of course you do mention like stocks and crypto. I no longer uh, sit in stocks and crypto, but I know you do. Uh, oh yeah, I can talk about that. Like I know you. Will talk I'm about, about the that. dividend game because it, it's just so funny because you know people are you're trying to make money, right? Yeah. And and these dividends, there's certain stocks out there you have to do, and it's like it's so funny how you mentioned like Google is free. It is free. Google is free. All you have to do is Google stocks that pay the highest dividends monthly. Because mm-hmm. there's there's monthly dividends, uh, quarterly dividends, and yearly dividends given. Obviously, the, the quarterly dividends are going to be a little bit higher than a monthly, and then of course, the annual dividends to be higher than the quarterly. But if you want some change in your pocket every month, Google it. There, I have a handful of stocks. I get paid monthly just to have them hold my money. Given exactly. you, you don't make a lot off the stock itself, I always tell folks that I was like. You know, that stock fluctuates between four to ten dollars every week. You know, I'm not making money off of that, but depending on how well the stock is doing, I'm going to get paid 50 cents per stock I own. Mm-hmm. So or not. Maybe that's a little too high. That's let's say, yeah, you know, I, get a, I know what I, you mean, though. You know, get I, 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 get a, I, I get a nickel per stock I own. If I have 100 or, you know, if I have 20 stocks, it's a dollar just yeah. for having money elsewhere where banks don't give you you know you know the highest one i have is a six percent yield which is insane for a yield no one no yeah. one's ever heard of like you go to a yeah. bank like can i get six percent on my savings account everyone will like, laugh at you fuck you, you know yeah. what I mean? like, everyone will laugh at you yeah and so it i always tell people when it comes to investing invest money you are not afraid to lose yes it's like and, those people who gamble and they're like oh we gambled all our money if you don't give a gift that you wouldn't, you know, you don't, if you ever lend money to your friends, like if you're lending money to your friends, don't ever expect it back. Be glad if you get it back. But mm-hmm. I, I, you're right. I also feel the same towards like stocks and crypto like that. Like, Hey, if you're investing that money, please don't invest your last dollar because or it don't, is inv- don't invest your house payment or your, or your rent money. Exactly. You know, Cause don't, you know, don't <laughs> do anything risky because, it is pop, you know, you may not get it back like that. It may not you, come back. Yeah, home. you will almost certainly will not get it back, especially with like <laughs> with young traders. They're so gun ho with with everything. And I'm like, did you do any research? You know, yeah, like, they saw like, that GameStop went to the moon one time and they were like, we're going to go too. Hey, that's me. I have my astronaut helmet and everything. I'm still exactly. holding on for dear life, but uh, that's a different story. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> But uh, like, yeah, no, it's 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 very important when it comes to investing. And it's also know. important to like keep your hand on the pulse. Like, don't go on vacation for two weeks and forget about checking it. Don't do that. Oh, if you want stress-induced anxiety, invest in stocks. 
Yes. And that's why I no longer do that. I think I, I like completely left my, uh, my Robinhood account when I was, or was it E-Trade? Right before, I don't know, maybe there was something in the world going on, but it was right before November, 2016, whatever was going on that time. All right. Now that we've all cut up. That's election year. Yeah. That's the election year. Yes, that was yeah, that was the ooh, the point went right over you. Um, but oh, yeah. I'm also, sorry, I'm like, wait, what happened to? <laughs> yeah, it was like right around November 2016. Yeah, I was like, you know, I'm not gonna fool with this. Uh, there are other things that need my attention. I, it's gonna be way riskier than it was before, and so I was just like, I'm not gonna fool with it. Selling everything, I don't care if I didn't make any money. I made a cool, cool ten dollars probably, and I was just like, I'm not gonna play with this, and. Uh, I, I do prefer putting my money in anything that's uh, investing in myself or my home or my family or my children. So I'm, I grew up in a really frugal home and my parents didn't like spending things on anything, especially if it was something like for a kid, it's like, that's a kid. The kid's not going to use it. The kid's not. And um, I see myself as investing money in something that's going to give me anything in return and um, I'm in finance a lot. So obviously it's easy to think money, but because I'm also in finance, I see how people just throw their money and they just set it on fire all day, every day. And so if it, if I can invest it in, um, something safer that, um, would definitely give me a return and I don't mean always financial return. So, you know, my money markets and my certificates, they obviously give me a little bit of return, but my IRA gives me return. I know that when I'm older, I'll be able to use it to take care of myself. That is the return I'm looking for to take care of myself or my family, Uh, my kids. If I, something's expensive and I'm kind of on the, on the fence about it. And I talk to my spouse about it. I, we kind of weigh and we say, what's the return on this? Is he going to learn this sport? Is this piano lesson going to make him a better person? Is it going to be Beethoven in 10 years? Is that a good return? Is it going to teach him something else? Yeah. It's going to probably teach him something else. It's expensive. Maybe I don't want to do it. I'm going to talk to the kid about it, make sure. But I want to see that there's a return in his education. Um, we mm-hmm. spent a little bit more money on this or tutoring or doing school a certain way. But um, that was an investment in my child. And the return I want to see is that he has learned what he needs to learn and when he needs to learn it and that he's bettered himself. So um, while financial literacy is, you're right about spending the money understanding what your money is, where, what it does and where it goes. It's also about, um, knowing that it's not everything and Mm -hmm. knowing that you must have money to do anything. I hate when people say money doesn't buy happiness because it definitely does. I'm going to cry in a Bugatti and I'm not going to cry in my RAV4. Like (laughs) I, money, uh, enough money will give you security that you know that If, you know, your family member gets hurt and you're like, hey, my mom is that old lady who works at the McDonald's for 12 bucks and she got hurt and she can't do her job. Could I take care of her? Could I take care of her mortgage payment if something happened to her? Like being able to not stress about um, an emergency coming up, a good percentage of Americans could not not take care of a $500 emergency if something were to happen tomorrow. So it's like, money does definitely buy security, which security is definitely happiness to me. So I, I very much reject that phrase. Money doesn't buy happiness, but I do think that investing it in the right places, because I don't want to be 
80 years old and been like, oh, I really should have invested. I really shouldn't have put all my money in just my accounts and I shouldn't have been Scrooge McDuck and kept every cent I made because if I would have given my kid those, uh, those baseball lessons, maybe he would have been the next, you know, yes, he'll be guy. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe if I did invest in his art, he really loves art. He loves art a lot. If I really did invest in getting him that really, that nice little art set that he, he really wanted, maybe he would have, you know, owned his craft and done better. And, uh, I just, I don't want to grow up and be like, you know, if we, if I would have just not, if I, their purchases, people regret people, you know, you know, yeah and by impulsively sometimes um i'm not that person but <laughs> some people buy impulsively i'm the opposite of impulse buying i'm like okay great i really like this sweater i'm gonna wait three months to see if i like it in three months and then it's summer i'm like i don't think it's really worth it to buy this sweater right now because am i gonna like it by the time it's cold and it's cold and i'm like oh you know what i could buy that sweater and i thought about it for a year <laughs> so then i might do it, it. I'm the opposite of an impulse buyer. Really, I really don't do it. I don't like doing it. I like thinking about the thing for way too long and then buying. But I digress. But, it, but it's smart though, because like you said, you impulse buy it. You wear it once or twice, and you're just like, well, I have a sweater. But then the, it, like my thing is like, oh, I could use that sweater. I buy it, wear it once or twice, and you're like, damn. But then it's like, damn, I'm cold. Oh wait, I have a sweater. <laughs> and so yes, and I think that things when I when I do purchase things I'm I really hate buying things that have one use or that I can rarely use I my least favorite thing in probably I don't want to say in the world because I'm sure I hate you know like murderers more but I really (laughs) really really hate and I mean hate like I I do not if I go in my kit I hate one single use kitchen appliances I know you weren't expecting that buildup. The single use kitchen appliances where they're like, it's a hot dog cooker. It only cooks hot dogs and it's so cute and it looks just like a hot dog. And I'm like, this is great. But A, it's spending time in every kitchen cabinet I have. My I do not have a million kitchen cabinets. I probably have like 12 or 10, maybe even less than that. I have not a lot of kitchen cabinets and I'm going to spend this much real estate on a hot dog cooker. And I don't, probably really ever eat hot dogs my kids probably do like once a year and it's the costco ones i don't need that it was probably cool but i just don't think of that as an investment in, yeah the, in, the novelty runs off the not yeah it's it's a novelty thing uh rj loves to joke about fast fashion um that is probably what i spent i i got to talk to uh one of my friends is um one of her classes they had a they had a unit on um they had a unit on like uh, going green and eco things and have, they interviewed me for it, which was really an honor. Uh, she has a classroom in Palestine and or Palestine and she is an awesome teacher. And I got to talk to her class about that. And they asked me about fast fashion. And I said, fast fashion is what it is. It's not good for the environment. It's not good financially. It's a terrible investment, but it, some people don't have an option. Like I, myself I'm a little bit bigger I have family members who are plus size and it's like hey every cute sustainable boutique does not go up to a size 2x like mm-hmm. I can't get my sister or my sister-in-law anything from this cute shop nothing's gonna fit them but you know what will fit them this cute sparkly thing from Shein 
So mm. I think that the first step just being uh, getting away from fast fashion is being a little bit more inclusive in sizes and prices and things like that, because some people really can't afford it. And they're like, hey, I'm going to thrift as best I can. But right now everybody's thrifting and reselling. So I can't find the things that I really need. And the reason that a thrift shop is there is for, you know, other people who can't go to a bigger store to buy something from a department store can get something that they can wear. And so, and that and the prices in thrift stores, if you, if you've been to a Salvation Army or Goodwill, you know that those are no longer Goodwill prices. Like yeah, they were we, back we, in the day. we frequent, we frequent them because we, I mean, not that we're like poor, but we're not rich, but we, you find some good shit at Goodwill, honestly. You really do. Um, and it's just funny. Cause you walk in, you can, you can like spot the resellers. They look like, like people from Instagram, like copy and paste. And then I'm just like, mm-hmm. why are you wearing trip pants, dude? It's like 90 degrees out. Like, anyways. <laughs> yes, but it's it's those people who are like, yes, we, we, we have a job. A jo- I have a job. I sell things. On, I resell things. And it's like, when I was a kid, I definitely went to the thrift store all the time. And it was not cool. Um, oh, I was yeah, not, no. I was not cool sh- for it. I mean, but that- if I found like a <laughs> Levi's jacket, I was like, oh, yes. This is a $6 Levi's jacket, you know? It's lit. And you can't you, you can't find anything like that anymore because like the resell kids are coming through it so it's like that and then uh with uh, with uh stores like goodwill and things especially with now the oversized clothing is coming back in yeah you're 108 pounds you don't need a triple x t-shirt to make into a dress for your for your tiktok you really don't you know who does look, this guy mad goofy <laughs> this guy who does need uh, who does need oh. this triple X shirt for a job interview because he needs a job to be able to pay for a better shirt. Like, <laughs> come on. Uh, exactly. Those things do piss me off because it's like, maybe you didn't, couldn't, uh, those stores are not meant for resellers like that. But no, you asked a question about credit cards that I did really like as well about benefits of certain credit cards um, and usages and debt income. So with a credit card specifically, um, I like choosing credit cards that have no annual fees or no, Uh, quarterly or fees or anything like that just because there's so many options for credit cards why the hell are you going to pick one that says you got to pay us to use it there's so many free annual credit cards and why am I going to pick one that they're like hey you got to pay us to use it why am I going to do that no well Um, that's just the way I see it I'm sure that some people are like I like paying for my Chase Sapphire because it's heavy Uh, but some people like that um, and they do want to and I mean, no hate to anybody who does. I'm just not going to pay for something I don't want to. But the card is metal. But it's a metal card. I just, I could not personally do it. Like, no one ever touches my cards or sees them. I, what is the waiter going to be like? Ah, oh, the eighth chase sapphire I saw today. Maybe I'll that get a nice tip. No, you're not going to get a because that person's spending on their annual fee. So in regards to credit cards, you know, we always talk about financial literacy. Um, How can we use these credit cards? You're kind of asking like, what, how can we use these to our benefit, to our advantage? Mm -hmm. They don't lead us to peril. Like we've probably heard uh, from other people. You're right. That's a great question. I think that responsibly using your card to me means keeping the usage down so keeping your credit card and creeping your credit card out for a while. So, and not having a lot of them. Like I literally have one credit card. I might have, I might get two, 
but I just, I don't, for me right now in my life, I don't see any reason why I need a credit card at a limit higher than I have right now for anything else. I just, I, I use, a, I use a little bit of it and I pay it back before it's due. And I try to pay the full balance off before the end of the month and uh, before the billing cycle is up and that's how I use my card. So that way it doesn't look like I'm carrying large balances. I'm not um, spending money in interest uh, on my payments because I'm paying it off before the uh, billing cycle is up. And um, I like to keep like rough, no more. I don't think I even get close to like 20% usage, but I try to keep it below 20% uh, for my card. Um, the limit I, I increased just this year. And I think the last time I increased it was like two years ago. Um, I only increase it because it shows that a, I'm responsible enough to have a, a large revolving limit and um, that I can manage it well. So um, I keep that credit card because if I ever need to borrow a lump, a large lump sum of money from somewhere else, they see that, Hey, she has a large revolving amount of credit and she's been paying this well since 2016. I, we can probably give her that same amount as a fixed installment loan because she could pay it back. Um, so that's what that looks like to creditors. Um, my, as far as debt to income, if you're purchasing something else, yes, they're going to see that whole credit card as a liability. Even if your card is at, you know, if you've got a $10,000 card and you've, the balance is at 50 bucks. Well, it's all seen as a liability because it's revolving. A, that credit card stays open forever unless you want to close it or unless it's closed for you and you didn't responsibly use it. And B, if you wanted to charge a $9,000 watch tomorrow on it, you could. So that's why it's still the whole thing as a liability, even if you only have like a $50 balance it's yours to use. Yeah. It's crazy how they get mad that you don't have debt, but then you can't have too much debt because you know, the credit, your credit usage plays in the part of your credit score. They're like, well, we want you to have a little bit of debt, but not too much debt, but not too much. And we only want you to have the right amount of debt and the right kind of debt. We want to see this kind of debt. And it's just like, this is all the bureaus. Um, this is all the bureaus who do this. And uh, American bureaus, they have this just impossible calculation and it's not the same for everybody because I, I used to get that all the time. Like, hey, my buddy is 19 and he has the same credit that we have the exact same score and he got his truck and I didn't, I'm not getting this. It's, it's made up of different things and there are different reasons. So the score itself, yeah, matters, but it's also what it looks like on the inside. So yeah. sometimes people are like, this food has 80 calories. And I'm like, okay, well, it's all carbs and sugar. It's not just the number, it's what's in it as well. So mm -hmm. you have to you have to care about the depth of it. Um, other countries don't really have uh, credit, credit scores. And if they do have credit scores, it's not as weird, weirdly formulated as um, we do here in America. So in Canada, like they have it, but it's not like if you pay your, if you pay all your debt off in America in one day, your credit score will plummet. Which doesn't make sense either. It doesn't all. make any sense at all. And if you pay all your credit off in Canada, they're like, great, you could afford to pay off your, your things that you couldn't pay off. That's a good thing. 
it's 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 not seen as that here. So it's a very 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 particular uh, formula that the regular population doesn't get. Even I don't know. I know why scores go up and down, but the perfect the perfect formula for this, I wouldn't know either. Um, it's made up by the bureaus. <laughs> Yeah, because like I, I reached out for like financial help at my local credit union because uh, yeah. I, I told her I was like, you know what, like we have an atrocious auto loan, like loan. And I told her, I'm like, I want to refinance as fast as I can. Um, what can you do for me? And she's like, well, you can pay off your debt, but it's going to affect your score. I was like, so if I pay off my debt to increase my score, but then if I pay off too much of my debt, it's going to negatively affect. So how am I going to refinance if I'm in debt, but then when I'm not in debt, I can't. And she's like, well, um, and it's just tricky because you don't want to give somebody bad advice, but she's right. You, you want to tell them like, this is generally helpful, but if you pay all of it off, that's, that's right. Your score is probably going to go down. I would have, uh, I usually advise people like if you have any money to pay, pay down that vehicle. So the debt to income or the loan to value, excuse me, the loan to value of your vehicle looks better and more attractive to anyone who would want to help you refinance your vehicle because it's, you're right, it, getting the right rate and having, owing too much on a car that's not, it's a depreciating asset. It's, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna put you in a really tricky situation. So uh, sometimes that would happen to us and we'd get people who are like, why can't you give us this money for this car. We have great credit. And we're like, it's not you, it's the car. We can't loan this much on a car that's not worth it. Even if you're a great borrower, it's not in our best interest as a lender to pay way more for something that's not worth it. And then you're just going to owe more because this is a depreciating asset. You're just going to always have a large gap. And that gap's just going to get bigger with how much you owe and how much it's worth. And it's just going to keep going. We're, we're setting you up for failure if something bad happens to you. And then us, uh, also as well. It's just not in our best interest. Um, I would always suggest getting gap for your vehicles and making sure your gap is is going to pay out um, the full loan amount for your vehicle because you. I, I saw that way too many times as well where someone was like, hey, I have this car and I can barely pay for the car I have. And then I got in an accident and now I have to pay for this car and I can't afford a new car to get me to and from work, but I have to go to work to pay for any of the cars. What do I do? And uh, I'm always going to suggest getting gap. Sometimes gap is expensive at dealerships. I would yeah. see if there's, um, I don't like getting it from my personal vehicle insurance because uh, insurance, they consider the accident a claim and the gap issuing a claim. So it's two it's claims and usually claims. your insurance, yeah, double claims and your insurance is going to go up. But if that's the cheaper option for you, that may be, that may be it. So sometimes people are looking for a short-term or a long-term uh, kind of payout. So right now, if you're like, hey, I, I really can't afford that gap right now. And the cheapest one is through my insurance. I'm going to do that. Do the decision that makes sense for you and your family and your wallet. If you're like, hey, you know, I know I can bite the bullet a little bit right now while I'm paying this and pay, you know, 100, 200 extra dollars for the gap right now. Uh, I'm just going to have to tighten my belt for a little bit until I can pay myself back that money. But I know it's going to be worth it in the end because if something happens, my car is paid off. And um, I don't have to pay for a car that was in an accident that I can't drive that's totaled. And I know that um, I'm not going to have an extra claim on my insurance. So 
sometimes you do have to weigh those those pros and cons. But when you are purchasing GAP, just make sure it covers that full loan amount that you asked for, because if it covers, you know, 80% of your loan, you're still going to have quite a bit to probably pay out. So I would just make sure that when you're purchasing a car, GAP is a conversation. Sometimes people like warranties. You can get a warranty. Just make sure they're not you're not paying way too much for the warranty. Warranties get expensive and sometimes they're not worth it because they're like, hey, we're going to, you have to pay for this anyway, or they're only going to allow you to do it for the first year. And especially if it's a new vehicle, it's unlikely that your engine's going to burst in the first year. Or um, the factory warranties cover usually the axle, the engine, and um, like the major structure. So if you're, um, if something, if you get in an accident and there's no structural damage, you're they don't covered. care. It's, it's, it's not part of that vehicle's warranty. Vehicle warranty doesn't usually cover, um, you know, natural wear and tear or anything like that either. So. Yeah. Uh, Cause with refinancing, they mentioned negative equity, which I didn't understand. Is that just, it's not worth refinancing is that like in lamest terms that's the loan to value so uh the loan is how much you're borrowing to the value of the vehicle so that means your car isn't worth how much you're financing and so that gap i mentioned earlier it just it keeps getting bigger so if you overpaid for it in the beginning or maybe something happened and it's just not worth as much um like um like kia's and uh some of some hyundai's who are not that are not like genesis's um those have really bad dodges have really bad um depreciation they immediately <laughs> dodge is really bad yeah dodge family yes sir they have a really really not good depreciate they depreciate so as you know how people say as soon as you drive off the lot yeah as soon as a dodge is made it starts depreciating thanks and <laughs> she's just like i'm just gonna give all the shade she's and it's, like, no, it's fine like range rovers as well like the land rover I know people like that luxury car and it's fine. I would only ever suggest, and I, I would only ever suggest like a Dodge or a Range Rover to somebody who has endless expendable money who can afford to get a new one every year. So it's <laughs> not me. It's like, not me. You're okay to replace that vehicle next year or you're leasing it and you can get a new one next year. Okay, that's fine. It is a nice car. But if it's, it's just not, financially responsible to keep it for so long it's really i'm about to be financially irresponsible once i pay off this car because yeah. i want to get my i want to get my challenger that's that's oh, next on no. the list. <laughs> i'm gonna get my 20 percent interest so poorly I at uh, forty thousand dollars forty thousand dollars just kidding I, <laughs> as a, even if i was like really well off i probably couldn't imagine paying like fifty thousand dollars 40 something for a car i just i could not see. i'm sure I the top the it. top of the line ones are eighty thousand dollars the you ones that are for he said i'm gonna be driving with a hellcat juniors in the back no, god is god is watching over us and we're gonna launch and just go that's boom. fine y'all do that i'm gonna sit over here with my little toyota my little hyundai my, or not my, not my, my yeah, i'm like you just talk shit about the hyundai. no not hyundai <laughs> i'm not a fan genesis they're nice vehicles and then like the way that they upkeep them is nice but i mean you're still gonna pay it pay a pretty penny for them but those kind of vehicles just because they're nice vehicles doesn't mean they're like kept up well like range rover i, I like to look at every year the um 
the consumer report comes out with like the most the highly highest rated and which was what was crazy to me was um i want to say a year or two ago of the car that won that award was the kia telluride and then kia the next year if you wanted to purchase the telluride it was like an additional two to five thousand dollars because it had won that award and you know people were trying to buy them and we were like it's just it's not worth that and then also because the car was a brand new type of car it had not been tested for you know running for longer than a year or two so it was a new model it was a brand new model they'd never had it before and they're very cool looking i know i hated on them for a minute but they've got like reclining seats and stuff and i'm like damn that sounds cool it looks like a movie theater but i also know that it's probably not worth my investment and I'm and I'm not going to get the time out of it versus how much money I put into it um because I like I like to put bigger down payments on my cars because I don't like large car payments that's always scared me that if something happened to me a lot of people have large down pay or large car payments and I I have always worried that if something happened to me I would not be able to afford my car and I don't like seeing like big ass chunks of money just come out of my account that would stress me out uh <laughs> but also interest rates on cars. Um, I have a really good rate on my car because um, the loan to value was decent and my credit was good. And um, I think that sometimes people aren't in that position where they have a good down payment, the loan to value is good. And the, it's just like a perfect storm. Um, sometimes people have to get a car because they have to. And they're like, hey, my other car just, and I really have to trade it in. And I'm really, I'm not in the place where I can do a week's or a month's or a year's worth of research before buying a car check a consumer report, see what cars make sense to buy, um, check in, you know, Google, see what cars are the most reliable type of cars. If you're looking for reliability or how cute they are, go and do that. Um, save whatever kind of few pennies you have to put any kind of down payment down, make sure it's reasonable for you. If your interest rate is bad, try and finagle the, the lowest rate you possibly can. Um, you can shop around, but not too much because those inquiries will hit, which is usually between two and five points. It can be as many as 10 on your credit report, but try not to do it. The credit bureaus usually see that you're rate shopping. So if you do a few of them in a short period of time, like a, then within the week, you know, it'll look like you're just probably looking for the best rate for a car, you're rate shopping. Um, but if you, if something happens and you can't get the lowest rate, uh, that you can put down the most amount of money you can, even if you put down, it sounds silly, but if you, if you can put down $50 or $300 or $600 or $1,000 in your car, if you're, if you have a bad interest rate, do it. You're saving yourself any amount of money in uh, finance charges. Honestly, I think when I refinanced my car, I wasn't like in the, I was getting a new job and I just needed a lower payment to make sure that, um, I wasn't scaring myself with a larger payment for a car. And they were like, do you want to put a down payment? And I was like, um, I don't really have the money to put a down payment because I took some time off between my new jobs. So I was like, hey man, if there's like 200 bucks in my savings account, can you like put that over there? And they were like, yeah, we could do that. And I just know that I was, you know, putting anything towards the car. So anything, any kind of, uh, and make sure there's no prepayment penalties. And there's no uh, fees for refinancing. So if you have a, a shitty rate, try to make sure that loan to value stays good. So if you are wanting to refinance it later, you're not in the point, like you said, like where you're stuck and you're like, shit, I can't refinance this because 
nobody wants it because the value is so bad for how much I owe. My rate is so bad that every time I make a payment, it feels like it goes nowhere to the principal. So making sure if, even if you have a bad rate that your loan to value is in a good place so you can refinance in the future is the best thing. And I'm all about like not being perfect and that progress is better uh, than perfection most of the time because you know, when I tell you guys this, I'm not coming to a place where I'm perfect. Uh, you guys are definitely not perfect. Um, <laughs> that sounds mean, but you guys are definitely not perfect. And I just want to give reasonable advice to regular ass people. I hate Dave Ramsey. I told you, I hate Dave Ramsey's advice where he's like, you cannot eat out if you have any amount of debt. That's ridiculous. You deserve to go get yourself some ice cream for getting a raise or just because you want to, you deserve to treat, treat yourself well uh, and without going in excess, of course, don't go crazy, but you deserve to have nice things or vacations or time to yourself. Um, and you are not a bad person because you were in a bad situation or because you have any amount of debt. You're just a person. So uh, if that can be <laughs> a good little closing note that if you guys have learned anything from this, you know, that you're not always going to be in the right situation, but taking the time to do the research um, to get yourself in the best situation possible with what you're doing would be helpful because um, you're not always going to be in the best situation, but you always have to make do with the best that you can with the best things that you have at that time. It's a really well, well put way to put it, honestly, because you know, it's, it's so many people feel stuck. You know, they feel like, well, I don't have money. I can't do it. Or yeah. I, you know, well, I want to buy a car, but I, I'm broke. And it's like, okay, great. Uh, plan for this plan for this to, to go well. And if you're in a situation where it's a time thing and you can't plan research and do the best you can, because you, you don't know what, what situation you could be in because you didn't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sacrifice a little bit. You know, even if you have to take, you know, like you said, the bus or the, the trolley for six months to, to you can save a thousand dollars to put that money down, you know. And, and some people don't aren't in that in that position where they can. And it doesn't make you any less, you know, of a of a person because you can't do certain things. We're all human. And, you know, I felt I learned a lot from this conversation and. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we were able to discuss about financial literacy and, you know, how far it goes, not just for people our age, but people younger than us. And of course, our parents. And, you know, if you're not, you know, if you don't learn something, you know, today kind of deal, uh, you know, what's the point of the day? <laughs> yeah, I hope anyone learned anything. Um, but that's just, that was just kind of my last caveat. I wanted to say like, Hey, I want to give practical advice to real people. So do the absolute best you can with what you've got. Um, and just always be forward thinking about how you could be taking care of your future self. Um, because that's your competition, not your buddy. Who's got the nicer car, the nicer house, you and your future self is your competition. But I really appreciate you inviting me, Mario. I'm of so course. happy to have been here. Um, I don't really have any social medias that anyone can follow me on uh, because I have a very exclusive Instagram account. But 
<laughs> but if you guys have any questions, give them to Mario. Or if you learned anything, or if I explained something that you thought was incorrect, give them to Mario. And the uh, thank you again podcast on um, Twitter or on Instagram. Or if you guys follow, follow him personally, I'm sure he's happy to pass along the messages, but it was really awesome to be here and uh, to just be included in this awesome podcast. I love listening. Well, thank you, Alyssa. Thank you again for being part of it. I do appreciate your time. No, then, thank you again for having me. Oh, do we, we then, don't clap. We well, don't clap. That's embarrassing. <laughs> Y'all have well, yeah. a great rest of your day. And uh, thank you again. Yo, what a good episode. Thank you again, Alyssa, for joining us and speaking about things that, you know, that isn't taught in schools. Uh, if you learned anything from this episode, I wish nothing but financial success for you and your family and for everyone who's listening. Uh, please give the podcast a like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to and follow us on Twitter for updates at TYAPod. And until next time, thank you again.